Yeah, so thanks very much for inviting me this morning. Um, it's good to be here amongst you, amongst friends. I have been praying for you. So let's come and read God's word this morning. We're going to be in Ma- uh, sorry, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to read from verse 1 to 14. Matthew 22, verse 1 to 14. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up the city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts, please, Lord, make them acceptable to you now. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On the 19th of May last year, 2018, a wedding took place just outside London. It wasn't an ordinary wedding. It wasn't in an ordinary church with ordinary people. It wasn't an ordinary couple. It was a royal wedding. It was the wedding of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. The wedding dominated the TV and the radio and the newspapers for days and days and days. And it caused plenty of media speculation. And it caused lots of controversy as well. Most of the speculation and the controversy were about two things. It was about invites and it was about outfits. Invites and outfits. Apparently, the dress which was worn by Meghan was estimated to have cost 300 to 400,000 pounds. And the experts debated whether it was appropriate for Meghan's dress to have been more expensive than Kate's dress. 
and whether or not it was appropriate or not to upstage the future queen. Then there was further controversy about the guest list and whether royal invitations had actually been sent to Meghan's family or not. Had they received the invitations or had they rejected the invitations? We had a royal wedding. We had royal outfits and we had royal invitations. This morning we're, we're looking at Jesus' teaching in Matthew 22 and we have a royal wedding. We have royal invitations and we have royal outfits. But whereas Meghan and uh, Harry's wedding was only really of interest to a, to a relatively small number of people, this passage here, this teaching of Jesus, is not just of interest to us in this room this morning. This is, should be of interest to everybody because this has spiritual and eternal significance. This is not just newspaper which lasts for a couple of days and be tossed away. This has eternal significance for all of us this morning. So if you've got a Bible and you want to open, um, have it open in Matthew 22, we're going to see three things. We're going to see, number one, the invitations that were sent by the king, verse 1 to 7. The wedding hall that was filled by the king, verse 8 to 10. And then the man who was rejected by the king, verse 11 to 14. So first of all, we have the invitations that were sent by the king. Where are we? Well, we're now in the last week of Jesus' life. In two or three days' time, Jesus is going to be crucified. On Sunday, he had ridden into Jerusalem on a donkey to the sound of people crying, Hosanna. People expecting this long-awaited military Messiah who was going to come in and he was going to overthrow the Romans and set up this new kingdom. That's what they thought. And then in a couple of days' time on Friday, he's going to be nailed to the cross. Not with the crowd chanting Hosanna, but with the crowd chanting Crucify. But then after the, the palm-waving celebrations as he's come in on the donkey, Jesus then enters the temple, if you remember, and he overthrows the money tables and the stalls, and he accuses the people of turning a house of prayer into a den of thieves. And it didn't go down well with the Pharisees. But then he's back again. And it's a day or so later, he's back in the temple, Tuesday or Wednesday, in the last week of his life. And he's ready to speak strongly and directly to the religious leaders once again. And he's going to confront them about the state of their heart and their position in the kingdom of heaven. And so, as usual, people have gathered to listen as Jesus speaks and he starts teaching. And he starts teaching actually in chapter 21, verse 23. And he's confronted by angry and bitter religious leaders once again. And they say to Jesus, where do you get your authority from? Who do you think you are coming in and speaking like that? Now, if you know your Bibles, you'll know the parable of the soils a few chapters earlier in Matthew 13. And you'll know that the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils, it wasn't really about soil. It's about hearing. 
It's about hearing and the response to the word of God as it is sown. And the different responses to the hearing is the different soils. And the religious leaders of the day, they just stubbornly refused to listen to Jesus. They deliberately chose to reject. They deliberately chose not to see. They had hard hearts, hard ground. And so the seed doesn't grow. They had hard hearts. And Jesus knows exactly what their hearts were like. He knows that they refuse to listen. He knows that they reject the truth. And so Jesus decides that he's not going to answer their questions, where do you get this authority from? But instead, he responds by giving them three little parables in uh, verse 28 of chapter 21, then in, again in verse 33. And then finally, he begins his third parable here in chapter 22, verse 1 to 14. Now, after the second of the parables, the religious leaders, they realize that Jesus is actually talking about them. And their response is that they start to plot against him. But Jesus, at the same time, knows exactly what, exactly what they're plotting. And so he starts his third parable. They're plotting against him. He knows what they're thinking, but he starts his third parable in chapter 22 verse 1 and it's a parable about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God now someone once said that the kingdom of God the kingdom of heaven is not to be seen as a reign sorry it's not to be seen as a region the kingdom of heaven is not to be seen as a region or a place it's to be seen as a reign it's the rule and reign of King Jesus in the hearts and minds of men and women and young people the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is about the reign of Jesus in the hearts and minds of men and women and young people. And so as he begins, Jesus, who is a master communicator, he paints this wonderful and a really simple picture, something that they all could understand, and he likens the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, in verse 2, to a great wedding feast prepared by a king in honour of his beloved son. Now, I'm sure you can all picture a wedding, can't you? I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have, be, have been at some point in your life to a wedding. I was at one a couple of weeks ago back in church in Liverpool. You know what they're like, and you know the usual format that we have in England. You have the, the wedding ceremony, and then you'll have loads of photographs which go on forever, don't they? And then you'll go to a wedding reception, and you'll have the food, and then you'll have, you might have an evening doing, there might be a disco and, and whatever else. And then whether they still do it, some people do or don't, and the, the car will be driven away with tin cans and all sorts of stuff strapped to the back of the car. And that's how we do it here. But the religious leaders here, as Jesus speaks and he talks about, they would have known immediately what was in Jesus' thinking. Even though weddings back then were very, very different to weddings that we have today. Their weddings could go on for several days and longer if it was a special wedding, if it was a royal wedding like this one this morning. And this wedding here that Jesus speaks of, it would have been spectacular and it would have had the best of everything. No expense would have been spared. It would have had the best food, the best wine, the best entertainment, the best music, the best decorations, because this wasn't an ordinary wedding. This was the wedding of the king's beloved son. Now, 
you've ever been invited to a wedding, you know how honored you feel to be invited, <laughs> to be a wedding guest. It's a privilege. But if you were invited to a royal wedding, if you'd had an invitation last year to Harry and Meghan's wedding, how much more of an honor would that have been? The king or the future king wants me at his wedding. Amazing. And so verse 3, the king's invitation is sent out to the invited guests. And then his servants go out and personally call those men and women to come. But what happens? They wouldn't come. Can you imagine the reaction of the crowd as Jesus is sharing this? They must have thought, what? People refused the invitation of a king? I mean, this is just ridiculous. No one's going to refuse a personal invitation from the king. And you certainly wouldn't refuse an invitation from a Middle Eastern king. Because it could be curtains. If you said no to a Middle Eastern king, you'd be in for it. Who would refuse the king? But then notice verse 4. What was his response to this rejection? It's a response of patience and kindness. In fact, so patient and so kind is this king that he sends out more of his servants. Listen, you, you've got to come. This is going to be an amazing celebration. It's going to be the best wedding. It's going to be the wedding of the year. Please, will you come to the wedding? The feast is ready. The sacrifice has been made. Come. And yet, verse 5, just look at the response. They paid no attention. They treated the invitation with contempt. They ignored it. They made light of it. They just couldn't be bothered with the invitation. If you try to think what was going on in the minds of the crowd, they must have been thinking, Man, this is just impossible to believe. But Jesus continues in verse 5 and verse 6 and says, those invited just wouldn't come. Excuse after excuse after excuse. Too busy, too much work, too much business to do, too much money to make. And maybe some of the crowd and the religious leaders were thinking, just what a ludicrous parable this is. I mean, Jesus has taught some stuff, but this is just, this is just another level. Or just maybe, maybe they realized the point that Jesus was trying to make with this parable and that he was speaking about their hearts and minds. And what did that do? It made them more angry and more determined to get rid of them. As we can tell in verse 15, what was the response? They plotted against Jesus. They plotted to entangle him. But then it gets worse, verse 6. The generosity and kindness of the king is met with hostility and an outright opposition. And then one step even further, it ended in murder. All because an invitation was sent to the king's son's wedding. It's just unbelievable. So what's it really all about? Well, it's about a king with a beloved son. 
It's about a king who invites men and women and young people to come and honor and celebrate his son. It's about the patience of a king, even when men and women refuse the invitation. So in other words, it speaks of our father in heaven, a father who rules and reigns above all things. It speaks of his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it speaks of the invitation which has gone out repeatedly time and time again, first to the Jew, to his chosen people, then to the rest of the world. Come and worship him. And when did the invitation first go out? Well, you can go right back to the start of the Bible, to Genesis chapter 12. When God speaks to Abraham, says, get up out of your own country. Go to a place that I will show you and I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a chosen people. And then he repeats it to Isaac and to Jacob and then to Moses in Exodus. And then the call goes out to the children of Israel time and time again. And it goes out through the leaders, through the kings, through the prophets, saying, come and worship the God of heaven, and worship him alone. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. The call has gone out time and time again. And yet, what was the reaction of the people to this invitation? Hard-hearted. Rejection. Unwilling to come. And so more servants go out and we come to the New Testament and John the Baptist and the apostles and they preach the good news. They share the gospel in Jerusalem and in the synagogues, wherever they go, and they proclaim that the heart of the king is for men and women to come and honor the king's son. And what do these people do with the invitation? There's indifference, there's apathy, ignorance, and then again, there's outright hostility. And John is killed, and James is killed, and then our Lord Jesus Christ himself is nailed to a cross but then look verse 7 there comes a point when the king says enough you've rejected the invitation and his patience and mercy is replaced with judgment most people seem to believe that that's a clear prophecy about the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70 the Roman emperor comes and he destroys the city and not one stone is left upon another and the king's invitation is rejected. Secondly, but the wedding hall is filled by the king. So here he is in verse 8 and he speaks to his servants. Those who had been invited were not worthy. But the question is why? Why were those who had been invited why were those who had been called by the king, why were they not counted as worthy? Was it because they weren't important enough? Was it because they weren't rich enough? Was it because they weren't clever enough? No. To be counted as worthy, you have to accept the invitation. 
You have to respond to the call. But the fact of the matter is that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, they had chosen to reject the invitation. And because they'd chosen to reject the invitation, they were unworthy. It's a bit like the scene in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends out his disciples to to go and preach about the kingdom of heaven. And he says to them that when you enter a, a town, go and find out who is worthy. And when you find those who are worthy, stay with them. And the way that you'll know those who are worthy is how? It's because they will listen to you. And they will accept the invitation that you bring. They will listen to your words. But if they don't hear you, if they don't accept the invitation, then leave. Wipe off the dust from your feet. Wash your hands of them. Because they are not worthy. It's all about accepting the invitation. It's about responding to the call. And then, to reinforce this point about worthiness and who is acceptable to the king, Jesus goes on to say in verse 9 that the servants are sent out once again. It's amazing. And the purpose is that their wedding hall will be filled with those who will come. Bring whoever you can find. Bring those who are good. Invite those who are bad. Invite everybody you come into contact with. Invite those who are needy. Invite them all. And if they'll accept the invitation to come, then they are welcome. I mean, that is good news to us this morning, isn't it? Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. He came to call sinners. Men and women like you and me came to call sinners to repentance. I'm not righteous. I've got nothing that I can offer to him. If he knew the state of my heart, and he does, it's because of Jesus, because of his work. It's not because I'm righteous. At first glance, this wedding preparation, it appears to be in ruins. No one's going to come and honor the son, and yet the thing is, The king's plans are so much higher, so much bigger than ours. He's far more gracious and nothing is going to stop his son from being celebrated and honored. Nothing. And the meaning is clear. And it must have like, it must have really jarred with those religious leaders. The invitation which they'd rejected, which they'd treated with indifference and hostility. It's now a gospel invitation to all. It's an invitation to those who are from every kindred, nation, tribe, and tongue. To the Jew, to the Gentile, to the slave, to the free, male, female, black, white, rich, poor. It's an invitation to all. To those from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost ends of the earth. To the folk who live in and around the streets here in Haydock, back home in Liverpool. It's an invitation for all. It's an invitation to be shared for your Saturday events, for your carols events. We need to get out there and and share this wonderful gospel invitation so that people can come and honor and worship and celebrate the King's Son. It's an invitation, verse 9, to be shared with as many, as many as you can possibly find. And listen. It's not because of our goodness that we're called as non-righteous, none of us. No, not one, the Bible says. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags in his sight. But on the flip side, we're not excluded because of our badness. 
The psalmist said, If you, O Lord, marked our transgressions, which one of us could stand? But there is forgiveness with God that you might be feared. There's forgiveness and hope for the vilest offender who truly believes. The king says, Invite as many as you can find. Invite those who are good. Invite those who are bad. Invite those who are needy. And look at the result at the end of verse 10. The wedding hall was filled. <laughs> Absolutely packed. Because the king is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. And he sends out this personal invitation to all. Come and honor my son. I don't know if you've ever been invited to one of those weddings and Inside the card it said, Mr. and Mrs. X, they cordially invite you to come and celebrate the, the marriage of their daughter on such and such a date. And then on the flip side, or on the back of the invitation, there's, there's another little message which said, we're, we're so happy um, to be able to invite you. And we're so happy that you've been such an important part of their lives. We really don't want your presence, E-N-T-S. We just want your presence, E-N-T-S. CE. We really want you to come. We don't want your gift. We want you to come. But if you do want to give us something, we'll accept money or John Lewis vouchers or something like that. I've had a couple of those. So really, everyone does like a good gift, don't they? But here, verse 10 and 9, there is no little extra message on the back of the invitation. The king says, you can't bring anything. You can't go to John Lewis and get me something to make yourself worthy for this wedding. I really do just want your presence. I really do just want you to come. Whether you're good, whether you're bad, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're young, whether you're old, just come. Come and honor my son. And the wedding hall is filled. Lastly, there's a man who's rejected by the king when I was at school in, a, in assembly, the head teacher would often walk in and he would come up to the front and he'd stand up on the stage and back then all the, all the kids, it was an all boys school and all the boys would have to stand up and they had to, be wait, had to wait to be seated by the head teacher but he'd stand there and pause and he would sort of, it felt like he was looking at every single one of like the 500, 600 boys who were in the assembly hall and he would examine each and every one whether you had your blazer on, whether your tie was done up, whether you'd forgotten to put your trainees on because you'd been playing footy in the yard or, or whatever and you weren't dressed appropriately. And if he looked and spotted you with your tie out of place or with your trainers on, you'd be in for it. He'd spot that you weren't dressed appropriately for school. And so we've got this final little scene. And you can picture almost the king's face changing. He sets his eyes on this one man in the wedding hall and he sees that he's not wearing his wedding garment, verse 11. And it leads to a terrifying response in verse 13. And I guess we could look at that response in verse 13 and think, well, that's a bit harsh, isn't it? I mean, the poor fella, he, he didn't have time to go home and get changed. Maybe he didn't have the money in his pocket to go and get a change of clothes. He didn't have time to go down to the shops and buy new wedding garments. Or, or maybe he just, he missed it on the invitation and he didn't realise there was a formal dress code 
and he had to put on his, his wedding outfit. Maybe he just didn't realize. But that's not the case, verse 12. It says, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. He wasn't speechless because he was like intimidated by the king. And he was in awe of standing in front of the king. He wasn't speechless because he, he, he couldn't spit his words out and he didn't know what to say. He was speechless because he had no answer. There was nothing he could say. He had no defense. Because as would have been the custom back in those days, at the entrance to the wedding hall, the king had provided wedding garments for all of the guests. And all of the guests had exchanged their own clothes for the wedding garments that the king had so graciously provided, all of them except this one man. They'd been given a royal robe, a royal robe which they did not deserve, which they could never have paid for, which they couldn't have afforded. How gracious of the king to provide that for them. But this man, he didn't want it. He refused to change. Perhaps he thought, I'm, I'm all right. I'm all right in my own clothes. I don't need to change. I can't be bothered to change. I haven't got time to change. I don't need what the king is so graciously provided. I'm okay as, he ha- as I am. He can, he can keep his garments. He can keep it. Maybe he thought more strongly than that. He can shove it. <laughs> and he was proud self-righteous, arrogance, refusing the clothing provided by the king. And so the king says, well, you're not gay crashing the wedding of my son. Only those who are dressed in royal robes are welcome. Take him away. Cast him out of the wedding. So what's this saying? You religious leaders, you think you're part of God's kingdom. You think you can get into God's kingdom with your own dirty clothes on. Well, if you want to be part of God's kingdom, and if you want to know peace with God and hope and eternity with Him, if you want access to the great marriage feast of the Lamb, then the only way that you can have access is by dressing in royal robes. Hanging around Christians isn't enough. Coming to church on a Sunday is great, but it's not enough. Singing the songs is great, but it's not enough. The thing that matters, says Jesus, is being clothed by the King. Clothed with what? Hebrews 12 says, without holiness... No one shall see the Lord. Isaiah says, Isaiah 61, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation, and he has clothed me with a robe of righteousness. We need the robe of righteousness. We need the garments of salvation. So where can we get it? It's what Paul said. He said, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
and that great exchange where Jesus takes off his robe of righteousness and removes our robe of sin and takes from us our robe of sin and puts around us his robe of righteousness and he gives it freely. That's the garments of salvation. That's the robe of righteousness. So this morning, if you believe the truth of the gospel that you're a great sinner and that he is a great saviour and that there at the cross he took your sin, paid the penalty, took your place to satisfy the wrath of God and if you will accept by faith that you are saved by his outrageous grace, then he gives us royal robes which we do not deserve. He gives us garments of salvation which we could never pay for. And he gives us access to the wedding of the Lamb. Just as we close, some of you have probably been coming here for years. Or you've been Christians for years. And perhaps you can think of hundreds or thousands of people who have come through the door or who you've ministered to or you've spoken to about the gospel. They've heard the call, they've heard the invitation. And verse 14 is a stark warning. Many are called, but few are chosen. So can I remind you at the end, only those who accept the gospel invitation only those will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who respond to the king by faith are acceptable in his sight. And only those clothed in righteousness are welcome at the marriage of the king's son. So be clothed. Be clothed with the garments of salvation which Jesus offers freely to us all and take out this gospel invitation and share it with as many as you can find so that one day that marriage feast of the Lamb is packed, packed to the rafters with everyone celebrating and worshipping the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much.